So Tim Peel, uh, just the other day, Justin Kia made his NHL officiating debut. And it's just great to see, you know, some some new people uh, join the league. I was wondering, what's your advice to referees who are about to do their first game, you know, maybe based on your experience with so many games in the NHL? Yeah, no, Chris, uh, Kia made his, had his first game the other day. And then do you remember Jim Sandlack? He played for the Vancouver Canucks back uh, probably in the 80s, I think, maybe 90s. And his son, I think it's Carter Sandlack, just made his debut too and did, did their first game. You know, it's easy to sit here. I, I often said to Stephen Walkham later in my career, I said, I wish I knew, because I was in the league for 23 years, I said, I wish I knew the first few years what I knew the last 15. And what I mean by that was I took myself too serious, probably a little arrogant, a little cocky. Um, you know, I came up in, in 1998, and that's when we had just expanded to the two-referee system, four officials on the ice. So I was working with Koharski and McCreary and Gregson and Magoo and all these legends. And I think a lot of us are, I can, I can only speak for myself, but I think a part of me felt that I had to make a name for myself in the league. And these guys had such strong personalities. And as you know, Chris, they were legends in the game, you know, Coho and Mick and Billy McCreary and these guys, you know, they were infamous. And so I, any advice that I could give to young officials is not, don't take yourself too serious, be humble, be approachable and be a good communicator. Try to communicate with the coaches and the players. And I think that that's really the most important thing is to know how to communicate and, it, and it's, you know, I've talked to a few coaches and GMs this year, and they they sometimes feel that the refs don't want to come over and talk to them. And I don't know whether it's because of inexperience or they just don't feel confident enough in their communication skills, but that's definitely would be the number one thing that I would suggest. Oh, that's great advice, Tim. Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Our guest is Tim Peel, the former National Hockey League referee of more than 1,400 regular season and Stanley Cup playoff games. Today, among other things, Tim is a rules analyst for DailyFaceOff.com. Tim, thank you so much for doing this, by the way. It's, it's great to see you. I was wondering about the, you know, uh, Gordon Miller's talked about this. Uh, Daily Faceoff has talked about this. With the pandemic and everything that's gone on, the workload on the officials has been really, really hard. We're seeing uh, more and more people join the league, and there are positives to that. Uh, but your thoughts on the hard work that these referees and lines people have had to do all season. Yeah, it's been challenging for sure. Certainly, I think I think they're pretty much back to normal as far as um, you know. Early in the year, we we had a number of officials out with due to COVID, and you know I, I think that it would have been tough to fill all the games if it hadn't been for games getting canceled. So that I think the league got a little lucky there because we had I think at one time we had fifteen to eighteen guys out with COVID. And then on top of that, you have a number of officials that are out with injury. Uh, Steve Miller, who was a longtime linesman, he's probably going to have to retire. He's he's out. Greg Dvorsky is going to retire. He I think he had a replacement, a hip replacement. Derek Amell, one of my closest friends who I talked to actually today, 
he had his uh, finger amputated a year ago, uh, and I actually was doing the game with him in in uh, Dallas, and it just it got caught up in a jersey. He was breaking up a, a skirmish between Lindell and and uh, Brady Kachuk, and he had to have surgery on it, and he probably came back too soon. It wound up getting infected tried to fix it and eventually they had to cut it off. So he said to leave on disability. Mark Joanette, longtime uh, referees, worked three or four Stanley Cup finals. He broke his fibula a few months ago. He's back now. So we've had a number of guys that have been hurt and it's it's been difficult uh, because we have so many young officials, Chris, in the league. Usually, you know, when I first came in, I would always work with a senior official, but we have so many senior officials that have retired the last few years these rookie uh, officials, these newer officials, are having to work with guys that may have only been in the league a year or two. How do you think it'll be for the playoffs? Will they at least be able to have the best of the best at every game and when the spotlight's on in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Tim? Yeah, they will. Uh, Francis Sharon, he's, he's out for the season. He worked the Stanley Cup Finals last year. He had uh, major, major uh, ankle surgery back in the fall. Uh, so they're going to miss him. He wears number six. He's a good young official. But they've got enough young, they've got enough good guys there. You know, you've got 34 officials. They take 20 to the playoffs and the other 14 go home for the summer. And those 20 officials, uh, they get rated. Well, all the officials get rated. But the uh, Stephen Walken, the director of, of, super, of officiating, He's the one that decides what 20 guys are going to work the playoffs. And, you know, you've got Dan O'Rourke's and Chris Rooney's, and you've got some very good, good very good officials. And if, and I'm not if, there probably will be two or three new guys into the fold this year. They'll uh, work with the senior official uh, so that, you know, make, it makes them a little bit more comfortable. I have to say, Tim, it is just, you know, I don't, maybe I was a little bit naive, but even just to hear you talk about the litany of injuries recent, like I, we, we see some things happen on the ice, but I think part of this idea that uh, the officials should be somewhat anonymous, we don't get, obviously we're not getting injury reports on them, but it, it's really shocking to hear. I think it is, will be for the people hearing this show. Uh, it's just dangerous out there. Did you uh, in, uh, experience that yourself too through your career? Yeah, December 12th, uh, 2019, I was working a game in Arizona. And uh, that afternoon, I, you know, I've lived in St. Louis now, Chris, for 21 years. And that afternoon, Stephen Walken phoned me up and said, hey, congrats, I'm going to uh, you're going to do the all-star game in, in St. Louis. So I was pretty excited about it. I had done one earlier in Ottawa back in 2012. And um, so I was excited to be able to do that in front of family and friends and have the all-star game here in St. Louis. And and then that night I went out and, and uh, Jonathan Taze just got tripped up and uh, fell on my leg and broke my fibula. And, uh, so needless to say, I didn't work the All-Star game that year and, and flew home and was off for three months and rehabbed and came back. I wanted to get back in time for the playoffs and came back March the 1st. I came back pretty early from from the injury and, and uh, then uh, five days later, the league was shut down because of COVID. So that was the only, in 23 years, that was the only game that I had ever missed. I had, I had been sick on the ice with the flu or food poisoning or whatever but i had and i had broken ribs one night alec martinez hit me with a slap shot broke a couple ribs and i continued to work and 
And uh, I had never missed a game, and it kind of bothered me now that this, this was the first time that I had ever missed a game because of injury. Wow. And I wrote about uh, my friend Pat DePuzo for the New York Times and what he experienced, and so that is uh, also the ultimate reminder of, of how tough it, it can be out there. Did you, um, you mentioned something, you know, right at the top about uh, your advice to uh, Justin and other young referees about, uh, you know, being more humble now, if you could do it all over again. Was there a turning point in your career where a a, a light switch went off and and you started to reassess either your approach to things? It it was very notable that you mentioned that early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was... uh... We, we get we get supervised obviously throughout the season and then in January late January we get a a uh, midseason report from Stephen Walkham good things bad things things we can work on how the season's going how he feels we're we're doing and it was just something that he had mentioned in in one of my evaluations and I don't remember exactly what year was it was but you know hey don't take yourself too serious out there. And, you know, there was, there was a, you know, the name Paul, Paul Dvorsky, you know, he was a great referee in this league and he had this personality that he could just let things roll off him on the ice. And, and it really worked for him. The players loved him. They loved his personality. And, and I always, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't get along with the players because I actually felt like I was a referee that I, like a player's coach, I felt like I was a player's official and, you know, became friends with some of them and, and uh, prided myself on getting along with the players. I think just early in my career, I I felt that I was maybe a little too standoffish and, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. And that's not the way, it, that's not the way it is at all. You have to be humble out there. I remember one night I was in Columbus and I made the wrong call and, and uh, it was against Boone Jenner and they killed it off. And I was so happy they killed it off. And I went over to the bench and you can't do it a lot because if you're doing it a lot, obviously you're making a lot of bad calls. But I went over to the bench and I said to Torts, well, I said to Torts, I said, where's Boone? And he goes, he's right, he was right there in front of him. I said, man, Boone, I, I really saw it the wrong way. I, I thought you held him. And so I'm really glad you guys killed it off. And, and right away, instantly the players go, oh, Pilsy, don't worry about it. And Torts goes, ah, Timmy, don't worry about it. And he joked, I think he said, I've seen, I've seen you make worse calls. And it just, you know, it humanizes you. And if you recognize, I think early in my career, I wouldn't have done that. But later on in my career, I'm like, you know what? We're going to make mistakes just like the players do. Um, own up to it. And, uh, you know, it's a fast game. So there's a lot of mistakes out there. Speaking, of, it's a great story. And thank you for sharing that, Tim. Uh, speaking about of owning up to it, I seem to recall and during my two decades or so as a PR director with a team where we made an official, the NHL allowed it, made an official available to speak to a pool reporter. One reporter would take notes for everybody else to address something that, that happened in a game. I understand that the league wouldn't want to do that regularly or just feel like the refs are always available after games. Uh, but would you be in favor of that uh, occasional accountability in the moment? If that, uh, like, would you, would that be your suggestion to the league? There is something to be said. Just as you told Boone, I messed that up. If it was a really key play, I almost feel like maybe a ref would want to get it off their chest and say, I got this one wrong, folks. 
Yeah. It, you know what, Chris, I think for, for whatever reason, I've been asked that question more this year than I've ever been asked in the past. And, and so you're on to something there. And, and, uh, there was a play with the Red Sox and I forget who they were playing. It was in the playoffs. And I don't know if you remember the play where um, it it hit the wall, it came off the player, and then it went yes, out. Yes, I do remember, it yes. Was, it was deemed a ground rule double, but the guy would have scored from third. He couldn't go in. And, and I think it was in extra innings, and it really changed the game. And Sam Holbrook was the umpire, and he had a, conference, a press conference after and explained the rule because the umpires 100% got the rule right. And so then everybody's like, okay, well, now I know because nobody really knew what was going on. So there is definitely an appetite for that. And I think it's something that uh, should be um, maybe looked at a little closer. The only problem that I, that I have with it, and I've said it on in other interviews, is that West, I would be comfortable doing it. Kelly Sutherland would is a is a very good speaker. Wes McCauley would be good at it. Dan O'Rourke. There's certain officials, but other officials, even though they're an NHL ref, it doesn't mean they're they're a good public speaker. And they might not feel comfortable. They might say the wrong thing, and it, it just opens up a whole new can of worms. And as you know, you know obviously Gary Mahar very well and. Now everything's got to go through him in Toronto. But it's it's a very valid question because I, I see it on social media all the time. People people ask, how come the refs can't come out and talk to the reporters? So I, I think that for the fans and for the media, they would like to see it. But I don't think we'll see it anytime soon. That's a great point. I mean, just listen, we, we don't. We, there's no reason to expect. Just, you know, coaches, I do think head coaches are usually part of their skill set has to be a communicator, right? Uh, uh, Boone of the Yankees, Joe Torrey of the Yankees, since you brought up baseball, it's my team, right? They they have to be good with the media. They're talking all the time. Right. There's no reason to expect a, a referee to be uh, uh, like you are, a good, a good public speaker. So maybe the answer is over time is, is and again, you don't want to make it sound like you're available all the time, but perhaps it's a statement uh, crafted along with Gary Mahar to say, uh, this is what I saw here. This is what happened. I, I stand by it. I messed up. You know, maybe there, there, there's something there because accountability is certainly all, all the rage. Video replay, it, it must have changed the the profession incredibly. How did it for you? Yeah, no, it did for sure. And what I'm what I'm, and I think the general public is is surprised at over the last couple of years with the offside reviews. We don't have the, we don't have many offside goals overturned. I would say we have probably. I don't know what the percentage is, but I know it's very, very, very low when you have 1,400 games being played and the number of goals that are scored throughout the season. There's only a handful, maybe 10, 20, is it 30? I don't know the number, but percentage-wise, compared to the number of games and the number of goals we have, we really don't have that many. That My point is these linesmen are so good. I don't know how they do it with bodies going across the blue line at, at different angles and the speed and so on. So, you know what, it's been good. I, I was a little frustrated. I'm glad they, they changed the rule where this, the guy's skate can be off the ice as long as it's breaking the plane. 
Uh, I think that was frustrating to a lot of people when, you know, I remember a game here in St. Louis in the playoffs and Tarasenko's skate was two inches off the ice. And, the you know, the building's erupting and then all of a sudden it gets taken back because of that. And, you know, as you know, the NHL is always focused on more scoring in, in the league and we were taking goals away instead of instead of uh, allowing them. So, but with video review, I think uh, goalie interference. Uh, I'm really glad that they brought in. It's a tough. It's tough when you're an official. You're looking at the net. You're also looking out at the point to see you know where that slap shot's coming. You're trying to watch the players in front of the net. You can't just focus on the net because you may take a slap shot off the side of the head. But you have to watch everything at the same time. Even though there's two of you out there, as a, as a referee, you don't say, hey, I'm just going to look here and you're going to look here. That's just not how it works. And so I remember doing a Ranger game one night and, and I had allowed a goal or disallowed a goal on, or allowed a goal, I mean, on Lundquist in favor of the visiting team. And, you know, he was obviously very upset and, and, you know, it bothered me for two or three days because we didn't have video review then. And, and I knew I had the call wrong. And, you know, people think we just go back to the hotel and have a beer and forget about it. But, you know, it bothers us. We're professionals. And, and uh, you know, I don't need a supervisor in, in the building to tell me whether I did a good job or not. I can look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, I, I didn't have a good night. So and then I think the, the, the one that they did bring in with the double minors for high sticking they're like Chris that high sticks happen so quick and if you've got three or four players around you thought it was this stick but how many times have we seen you know you've been around a long time where it was actually the other guy or his teammate stick and all of a sudden you've got four minutes up on the board for high sticking and the whole building's going crazy because they all saw the replay the coaches saw the replay everybody saw the replay except the four guys on the ice and to my point about that, I was a standby ref in St. Louis that night uh, a couple of years. Well, it was the year that the Blues won the Cup in 2020, 2019, uh, 20, the 19-20 season. And you remember the San Jose play where he gloved, he hand-passed it, Timo Meyer hand-passed to somebody, and the refs didn't see it. They didn't see the hand-pass. It happened quick. And I was the standby ref that night. I didn't even see it. I was at the other end of the Zam at the other end by the Zamboni. And what was frustrating is the guys came in the room after and they're like, Peelzy, what happened? And I told them, and you know, there was dead silence for the next hour in the room. And TV saw it. All the fans in the building saw it. The coaches and, and players saw it on the bench. Everybody from China to the US saw it, except the four guys on the ice that needed to see it and so they changed that so they've made a lot of good changes you know how far do we want to go with video review you know i i see especially maybe now that i'm out of it and i'm a lot we weren't as a as a, a, a referee or a current referee you're not allowed to be on social media so i wasn't allowed to be on social media till september 1st and and now that I am, I see a lot of fans really think that it should be perfect every night. And it's just unrealistic. It's, it's the I think it's the most difficult sport to officiate uh, uh, over football and basketball. You know, basketball, we'll see four fouls, five fouls in the last 40 seconds of a game. Nobody even, nobody even thinks about it. They're like, oh, it's, it's a foul, foul. 
Can you imagine calling four or five penalties in a hockey game in the last minute? People would be losing their mind. So there's a lot of, you know, as and I hear people say, well, they should just call the rule book. Well, once again, do you want a million? That's the art of officiating and being a good official is when to know when to let one go, when, know when to call one. You know, just because a guy falls down on a trip, he gets back up, he keeps control of the puck. Do we need to call that in the neutral zone? Like, we want to call the penalties we want to call are change of possession, scoring opportunities, flagrant fouls. Outside of that, that's what makes, that's why Bill McCreary was in the Hall of Fame and Don Koharski and Kerry Frazier and these guys, they knew how to referee a game. A refereeing a game isn't just out there calling penalties. Refereeing a game is is an art and a skill set that some people really have and are really good at and some people aren't. A friend of mine said this to me like a season or two ago, and I hadn't thought about it, and I have a feeling I'm not going to be breaking. <laughs> this is something a million people have thought of. But the point that he made was on the offside rule, Tim, was that, mm-hmm. and you say, you're right to say that so few are overturned. But if you're a lines person, it is safer to not blow the whistle and have it be reviewed than to blow the whistle and call it offside and be wrong, right? Um, is yeah, there is there something to that? Or, or do you stand... I, by the way, I'm not... Um, criticizing I, I to me it would almost be human nature well like if i'm going to be wrong i'd rather not i'd rather let the play go on and then have them take a look at it where, where right. uh, what's the thinking there yeah that that's a good question and and uh when i was on the ice you know brian murphy you've probably met brian brian was a was a heck of a linesman you know kevin collins pat DePuzo, scott driscoll uh, Pierre Rassico, Tim Nowak, these guys were the best. They were unbelievable linesmen. And there's a reason that they worked playoffs everywhere, uh, every year and worked Stanley Cup finals, all of them, is because the verbiage that we use is they didn't make safety calls. A safety call is, you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to blow it down. And because I don't want it to end up in the back of the net. This is before video review. Uh, I don't want it to end up in the back of the net. And, and I find out it was offside and we can't reverse it. There were linesmen that made safety calls and they were known to make safety calls. And there's a reason they never worked playoffs. These guys didn't make safety calls in the current, uh, landscape that we're under right now with video review. Are they more likely to let it roll? Probably a little bit, you know, um, but if they think it's offside, they're going to blow it down. And, and so I don't think they're, I don't think they're letting it roll um, on purpose, but if it's close, you're probably right. They're like, and they haven't been instructed to do that, but I'm sure they're like, you know what? That was close. I'm going to let it roll. And like you say, if it's offside, at least we can review it. Tim, we're in a moment where there's a lot of uh, female officials in the American Hockey League. It seems to me it's a matter of time before we see our first or maybe our first two, three or four uh, women officials in the NHL. I was wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think the timing's right uh, for sure, Chris. I had the pleasure uh, this past weekend of meeting Kendall Hanley. She was the was a linesman in the in the gold medal game in Beijing 
uh, recently, and she's working. The, the North American Hockey League has brought her on uh, to help out with the officiating at their level. And the, the female officials that are working right now in the American League are doing a phenomenal job. And, and uh, I think the timing's right. I think, I think come next season, 100%, there will be at least one, maybe two female officials added, and it's probably long overdue. I noticed that your title is Rules Analyst. My two cent psychology on that is that you told Frank and the and the crew at Daily Faceoff that you want to talk about rules and you don't want to be the guy criticizing other officials. Now, for all I know, you might do that or, or play, but is that was that important to you to get really more specific about the calling of the game, but not the people calling them? Or am I just like is that a far flung yeah, theory? No, 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 you're, no, no, you're right, Chris. It, it's it's more educating the fans. Uh, trust me, I missed a lot of calls and made a lot of wrong calls. It's more educating the fans and trying to, for them to understand why a call was made, why a call was missed. You know, sight lines are everything in this game. And you're in the corner and you're spinning, you're moving, you know, the pucks, people are cycling, you're moving. Uh, you're going to, things are going to get missed. So it's not so much criticizing. Now, I've had to go on there and say, you know what, unfortunately, that was the wrong call. They made the wrong call. It's going to happen. Uh, but this is why they made the wrong call. So it's not, you know, I, you know, I was talking to Wes McCauley today and, and another linesman, a friend of mine on staff. And, you know, these guys are still, are, you know, my friends and my colleagues. And I know what a tough job it is. And I could never go on air and, and um Listen, they're going to make mistakes. It's it happens, and uh, it's a fast game, and things are going to get missed. What do you expect him to be the points of emphasis for officiating in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, one hundred percent with Stephen will be keep calling the standard, keep calling the hooking standard. There's a reason, you know, when we came out of the lockout in uh, two thousand and four. He took over. He stepped off the ice uh, and took over uh, from Andy Van Helleman. And that's when they instituted the new standard. Eliminate the hooking, the holding, the free hand, all of that. And there were a lot of people that didn't think that, that they could do it, that we could do it, that, that the officials would stick with it, that the players would, would uh, like it. But I can tell you right now, Chris, if, if I'm doing a playoff game in Tampa and – Stamkos, the stick comes up on Stamkos's hands, right away the bench is going, that's a penalty. Like the, the players expect it to be called now. They it's not, it's not, they're not surprised when, you know, uh there was a play Carolina, Tampa the other day. Saw all over social media. Everyone was like, How can they call that late in the game? Eric Stahl pulled Stamkos. And Mike McKenna was on uh the NHL network and I text him because they were cool and coolly asked him. And I said, cause Mike goes, it might not be a popular answer, but it's the right call. And I text him. I said, you're hundred percent right. That is this, that is the penalty that, and that the standard that Wacom and Coley expect our guys to call. Listen, it's the playoffs. Things are going to get physical. It's going to get rougher. You know, I always say, and you know, this, some guys that have never thrown a check all year, are, are finishing their checks in the playoffs. Everybody finishes their checks, right? And, but Stephen will, 
I guarantee you, Stephen will reward the guys that that continue to call the standard that he and Coley and Gary expect them to call. I'd like to go rapid fire with the last five minutes sure. that I have with you. So give me like, you know, a 30 second or, or, or initial thought when, when I ask you, because there's so many I have to ask you, Tim, you, you know this. I told you I had a million things to ask you. Uh, how do you think the league's done with their emphasis on the new standard for cross-checking this season? Very good, I think. You know, I think everybody in, in you – living in Long Island, uh, it was, I think what really brought it to the forefront, Chris, was last year when Mayfield cross-checked uh, Kucherov in Long Island, actually, and and it wasn't called, and it was in front of the referee, and I think that kind of moved it up in the scale where wh- what happens every summer is the league gets together and says, what areas can we improve in? Can we improve on tripping, slashing? We had a crackdown on slashing a few years ago. We had a crackdown. Now we have a crackdown on cross-checking. These players are the smartest players in, in, the, in the world. They're, they adapt to whatever standard we're going to call. And I think that I think our guys have done a really good job in cracking down on the cross-check. I don't even hardly see any anymore when I'm watching the games. How much did you love your job? How can you articulate that? Oh, I loved that? it. It was, you know, I grew up, uh, Chris, I grew up in New Brunswick, Canada, town of 1,500 people, uh, grew up in a trailer park, uh, didn't, you know, didn't, can't, I was adopted, I didn't come from anything, um, and, you know, growing up in New Brunswick, we had two channels, we had Hockey Night in Canada, and we had the French Channel, uh, we had CBC, and we had the French Channel, and CBC was Hockey Night in Canada, I was a Leaf fan, and and uh, Montreal would beat my Leafs every Saturday night. And, you know, this is going live. This is back in the 70s. And so I, you know, I, I we all played hockey, all my friends. And and but I quickly realized at a young age that I, I was not going to make it to the NHL as a player. And it was the best job in the world. And everything I have is because of the National Hockey League. I'm very thankful to them. Favorite moment of your career, uh, your officiating career? Favorite moment? I, I really have two, and that would be one was refereeing the outdoor, uh, the Winter Classic here in St. Louis in 2017, just because I had so many family and friends here, and it was such a great uh, atmosphere. It was so good for the city, you know, being a baseball fan and going to a lot of Cardinals games, and we've got Albert Pujols back this year, so that'll be fun. But But living in St. Louis and going to a lot of Cardinal games, uh, being able to referee the Blues and Chicago. And then the other uh, memory that I have would be working in, in the Olympics. You know, I grew up, as I mentioned, and certainly when I was a kid, never did I think I'd be at the Olympics. And here I was and was lucky enough, fortunate enough that I uh, refereed the bronze medal game between the USA and Finland. And the year Finland won it, and that was a big thing for Timu Solani. And we had a few beers afterwards with him and Yarmo and the whole team at our hotel. And they were just so happy because it meant so much to their country. So would it, uh, would you be afraid of hurting any feelings if I asked you who your favorite teammates were as officials on the ice? No, not at all. You know, my favorite guys that I, I loved working with were, you know, Wes McCauley, Derek Amell, uh, Chris Rooney, Ian Walsh, uh, you know, I loved working when I first came in the league. I loved Kevin Collins. As a young official, I remember in Boston one night, I made a call. And I don't know whether it was a good call or a bad call. I can't remember. But we call him KC. KC 
would would purposely skate by and tap you on the rear end and goes and he go good call kid, and it meant a lot coming from Kevin Collins and Gerard Gauthier and Swede Knox and these guys that have been around that I grew up coho and Billy. When they would give you words of encouragement, it made you feel good and. And there wasn't anybody that I didn't want to work with, but there were a lot of guys that I really enjoyed working with. Mick Magoo, I love Mick, you know, poor Mick, you know, he had a heart attack and he passed away. And I loved working with Mick. He was the funniest guy that I had ever been around. And, you know, before the 30, before the Seattle team came in, we had 31 teams for a long time. And, and, but we always would, would say we're the 32nd team, you know, we're a really close knit group. Like, you know, we lost a brother in 2004, Stefan Provo uh, had a, a motorcycle accident and he had a young family and Pierre Rassico and a couple other guys, we started doing a poker night at, at training camp and we would all buy in and we'd have poker night and have the big winner and hand out three or four prizes and it was just a great night at training camp to, and, and we'd show a video on on Stefan and all of us would tear up because it was we really missed him but all that money we raised we put his because his kids at the time one was just newborn and the other one I think was two or three they still they, they still come back to training camp via zoom and thank us we put we've put them both through college by just having our poker night at, at training camp to remember one of our fallen brothers so it's a very close-knit group and it's the only thing that I, I don't miss the travel I, I've got two young kids. I, I've got a great wife, and and you know tonight we're tomorrow we're at hockey and horseback riding. And I don't miss any of that. I miss the guys and try to keep in touch with them. But life's good. I'm enjoying being home. This has been fantastic. You've said you've given me so much. Uh, I hope back you know most just about everybody for the show. I've asked everybody to do it once, but I hope maybe next season we could do this again because uh, you gave me so anytime, much and I anytime. appreciate it. Thank you so much, yeah, Tim. Anytime, Chris. Anytime, buddy. You're a pro and, and uh, trust me, I, I saw your message and I'm telling you, I didn't know there were so many podcasts in the world. Everybody wants, right? And, and I've picked and choosed uh, which ones I've done. But, you know, I certainly remember your name when I was coming up in the NHL. And I know you, you're fair and very professional. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Tim. Special thanks to Tim Peel. It was just fantastic. I look forward to talking to him some more. Like all the guests this season, he was just great, insightful. You go in the extra mile. I hope uh, you guys got a lot out of it. Want to thank HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or farmer's market. Pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to. Change your delivery date or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. 
HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you could feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. I have to say, my family loves it. We get the fit and wholesome meals. They're great, save so much time and money, makes cooking so easy. Even I've been able to help out. So please go to lowfresh.com slash presspass16 and use code presspass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com slash presspass16. Use code presspass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. I want to thank Tim Peel, Lou Pellegrino, Pat Boyle, Danny Ryland Carney, Ksenia Seliman, and you, the listeners, one last show this week and for the season, for season one of Hockey Press Pass, and that will be with John Butchergoff of ESPN. I hope you join us. Thanks, everybody.